You are about to hear a dynamic message from God through Pastor Rodney James of Sequoia Hills Baptist Church. We invite you to open your Bibles, sit back, and allow God to speak to your heart. Well, we began last week our journey through the book of Ephesians. And we looked at some background material last week, and so I just want to do a quick review. The author of the letter of Ephesians is who? The Apostle Paul. And remember, we stated the fact that because he was an apostle, he had the authority to write to the church, and the church recognized his authority as an apostle as his words coming directly from God himself. And then we saw that the the letter was written to the church in what city? Ephesus. Man, if you didn't get that one, you're in bad shape. All right. Written to the church at Ephesus. And we talked about that a little bit, that it went first to the church at Ephesus. It was circulated among some other churches there, but it de- it definitely was intended for the church at Ephesus. And so because it was intended for the church at Ephesus, it was written to what kind of people? Believers in Jesus Christ. This letter was written to believers. That's important to remember because as we go through the letter, as Paul addresses some things in the letter, we need to be reminded that Paul is writing not to the lost world. He's writing to the church. He's addressing believers in Jesus Christ. Now, he talked about those believers and what kind of believers were they? Faithful believers. That's important. He said, you are faithful. The church at Ephesus was recognized because they had held fast to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not led astray. Remember, we went back to Acts chapter 20 and Paul said, listen, I want to give you a warning. There are going to be those who are going to come in from the outside and they're going to try and change the message that I have given you. They're going to be those who rise up from within the church and they're going to try and lead you away to, to follow after a different message and after what they proclaim. And Paul says, you've got to be aware of those people. You need to stand firm and stay faithful to the message of God. He said, I commend to you, I recommend to you God and the message of grace. And the church at Ephesus had held to that message from the time that Paul was there, spent about three years with them, started the church, got the church going, founded it, built disciples in it. And now he recognizes them several years later by saying, you are faithful. And so that's the background of where we kind of started last week. And today we're going to continue on. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open to Ephesians chapter 1. We read the first two verses last week. And today we're going to read 3 through 6. And we're going to discover the source of the blessings that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to find out how those blessings are appropriated or how they are provided or made available to us in our lives. And we're going to look at the first two blessings that Paul mentions in this letter. And so uh, I want you to follow along with me as we begin in verse 3, reading from Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit to you and to me, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, in the beloved. 
Father, we pray that today in the few moments that we have remaining, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit, that you'd lead us through these moments and give us insight, wisdom, illumination to the Scripture. And Father, I pray that we would take these truths then and apply them to our lives, that it might change us and transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see, Father, today who we are in Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me remind you that as we talked about last week, there are two words in this letter that Paul will use over and over and over again. Those words are in Christ or in Him or some variation of that. Somewhere about 30 times, maybe a few more, maybe a few less, depending on the variations that you look at. But Paul is going to say multiple times in Christ or in Him. And I think it's important that we kind of backstep just a little bit and understand the significance of those words so that as we go through here, we can keep that in mind. If you'll remember, if we go back to our study of Romans, in Romans chapter 6, we saw that we were baptized into Christ. Now remember, when we studied that, we talked about the fact Paul was not dealing with ritual baptism or water baptism. Paul was talking about what the literal word baptizo means in the Greek, and that means to dip or to identify. When you are baptized into Christ, you are identified with Christ. You are united with Christ. And so Paul was not talking about water baptism. He's talking about being identified in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about when he uses this word in Christ or in Him multiple times throughout this letter in Ephesians. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6 and review it quickly. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized or identified into Christ have been baptized or identified or in union with His death? For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. What Paul is saying is that believers... In Jesus Christ, we are in Christ. We are identified with Christ. We are united with Christ. We were united with Him or identified with Him in His death. When He, was, when he died, you died. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment you put your faith in Him, God identifies you, puts you in Christ. At the moment Jesus Christ died on the cross, your old man died. Your old self died to sin. And he says, he goes on to say, and just as Jesus Christ was resurrected on the third day, so were you raised, and he says, to walk in newness of life. We know that if any man be in Christ, be united with Christ, have been baptized into Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. The old things passed away when they died on the cross. Your old sin, nature, your flesh, it's rendered powerless when Jesus died on the cross. And when you're raised up, you're raised as a new creation. So the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are identified in Christ or in Him. God no longer sees you. He no longer sees your sin. He sees Christ. And remember the way that we illustrate that is this, if this is you and the moment that you believe in Christ and this is Christ, he comes, you are no longer seen. No longer can you be seen. All when God looks at you, all he sees is his son, Jesus Christ. And you need to be thankful for that because when he looks at Christ, he sees the perfection of Christ. He sees the blamelessness of Christ. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ, his son. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see you as you are. So when we say you are in Christ, friends, you need to understand everything you are and everything you have is because you are in Christ. 
God looks at you and he deals with you no longer as Rodney James. He deals with me as a son. He deals with me as he would deal with Jesus Christ. That's powerful. And so you need to understand that because as we continue through this letter, every time Paul says, in him, what you need to understand is, it's because you are in him. Because God is giving to you what he would give to his own son, Jesus Christ. We are identified with him. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, by his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. That's God's doing. So when we see this in Christ, remember all you have and all you are is because you are in him. And we're going to see how this works as we dig into the passage today and uh, as we go through the entire letter. And in this entire section, as we begin chapter 1, Paul is going to show us multiple blessings that we possess in Christ. We have them because we are in Christ. We are in union with Him. And, and so as we go through this list, you need to remember that. Now, there are several things that I want to show you, some things that we need to understand about these blessings before we actually look at the blessings because Paul covers a number of things. Really, right here in verse 3 is such a powerful verse, and we need to see all of this. We don't want to miss it. The first thing that we need to understand about these blessings is this, that God is the source of these blessings. The blessings we're going to talk about that Paul's going to write about through the remainder of chapter 1, we need to understand that God is the source of these blessings. Look what Paul says. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Paul is about to make a list of all these significant blessings that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. And he begins this list, and literally what he says is, Bless God who blesses you. Bless God who blesses me. Bless God who blesses us. Notice who it is that does the blessing. It is the Father. Father God. God does the blessing. And I want you to understand it's important because when you understand that God's the one that does the blessing, you understand that God does it because God chose to do it. It is in God's plan. It is in God's will. It is in God's design. And it is by God's choice to grant you all of these wonderful, abundant blessings that you have. Look in your Bible. Look at, look at verse 4. Notice what it says. He chose... Go to verse 5. It says, according to the kind intention of His will. Verse 9, it is according to His will and His purpose. Verse 7, by His grace. Verse 11, again, according to His purpose and the counsel of His will. Listen, folks, God is the source of all your blessings because He has purposefully chosen to bless you. God decided before the world began, that he wanted to give to you who would put your faith in Jesus Christ all of these abundant blessings. That's why Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, Praise God, because he's chosen to grant us all these unfathomable, rich, and abundant blessings. And by the time we're finished going through these blessings, as we work through this in several weeks here, you ought to be in your spirit ready to stand and shout, Praise God because He has blessed me beyond measure. So the Father is the source. You need to understand that. Here's the second thing we need to understand, and that is this. These blessings are spiritual. These blessings are spiritual. Notice he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. So, many times when we think about blessings, when we think about somebody blessing us, we think of somebody giving us something or doing something for us. We think of physical blessings or material blessings. When you read the Bible, the Old Testament, God blessed people physically in the Old Testament. They obeyed and God blessed them physically. He gave them victory in war. He gave them an abundance in their crops. He gave them multiplication in their herds and flocks. He gave them health. He provided so many things for them. And the list goes on and on of what God did for the people physically or materially in the Old Testament. But I want you to notice in the New Testament, in the New Testament, God gives us much more significant blessings. These are spiritual blessings. They're spiritual blessings. Well, what does that mean? Well, most importantly, and don't miss this, They are eternal blessings, not temporal blessings. Anytime somebody blesses you materially, let me just remind you, it's only on a temporary basis. I mean, you think about it. Even if God was to give you an abundance in your crops, if He was to give you a great season, a great year, and an abundance, let me just tell you, you're going to have a year sometime like this year where there's lots of drought. So that may be a great blessing for a season, but when you sell the crop and you take the proceeds and you live off the proceeds, they're gone. Or if God was to grant you a great increase in your herds or flocks, eventually, if your cows have more calves than everybody else's, you're either going to sell those calves or they're going to die and then they're going to be gone. But the reality is when you get a spiritual blessing, it is eternal. It it will last forever. It is not temporal. They are not of this world. Notice he says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you know why they're not of this world? We talked about it last week. Where is our citizenship as believers in Jesus Christ? It's in heaven. It's in heaven. We are not of this world. Philippians tells us our citizenship is in heaven. And you think about it. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. Our Father is in heaven. We are seated in heaven. Our attention and our thoughts are to be centered on things in heaven according to God's Word. So it's only appropriate that our, that our blessings be spiritual blessings and that they be in heavenly places. Because that's where we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Notice, I want you to notice one other thing. How many spiritual blessings do you get? All of them. He says, how many? Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Listen, God withholds nothing from His children. You get it all. You get it all. These are spiritual blessings. So they are from God. God is the source. He chose to give, to bless you as His children. And secondly, they are spiritual blessings. They are eternal. They are not temporal blessings. Now, here's the third thing that we need to understand, and that is this. These blessings are appropriated through Christ. They are appropriated through Christ. Notice what he says in verse 3 again. The very last two words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. There it is. The very first time that we encounter these two words in Christ in Paul's letter in verse 3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And how does He do it? In Christ. In Christ. Notice in verse 5, He says, Through Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 6, He says, He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. 
You will see this over and over and over all throughout this letter. We're going to see that the blessings are appropriated or provided to us through our union with Christ. It's so important for you to understand your position in Christ. It's the access. It is the key by which you gain eternal life, by which you gain a home in heaven, the forgiveness of your sin, and by which you get all spiritual blessings is because you are in Christ. You're in Christ. The way to be seen by God or to gain your position of being in Christ is putting your faith in Jesus Christ, to come to the place in your life where you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you believe that on the third day He rose again. And the moment that you put your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus Christ, the moment that you do that, you are in Christ and you gain eternal life and you gain a home in heaven and you gain all these spiritual blessings. See, the way to understand it is pretty simple. In Christ, you get everything. Outside of Christ, if you're trying to find another way or do it on your own by being good or being religious or serving God or trying with your own effort, outside of Christ, you get nothing. Nothing. You shall fall short. You're going to perish and spend eternity without God. You're going to live life without purpose. And you're going to lack all the spiritual blessings that are found only in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? Let me ask you this morning, has there been a time when you've put your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ? You believe that He was God's Son, that He died on a cross for your sins, and that on the third day He arose from the grave? The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. How do you do it? It's simply by believing in Jesus. Putting your faith in Jesus. Him and Him alone for eternal life. And you get all this other stuff. He says, when you believe, you'll never perish and you'll have eternal life. He could go on to say, and your sins will be forgiven and you become a child of God and you're chosen before the foundation of the world and you get all these spiritual blessings that we're going to go through as we go through this letter. And God could have said, you get all of that. But in John 3, 16, He just says, you get eternal life and you'll never perish. Listen, friends, it's just about believing in Jesus Christ. It's about being in Him because every spiritual blessing that Paul's going to talk about here and the gift of eternal life is appropriated, made available, made possible because of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a fourth thing that we need to see. And that is this. These blessings are past tense. They're past tense. This one's subtle, but you don't want to miss this. Look again at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. When do you get your spiritual blessings as a believer in Christ? You won't get them. You already got them. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you already have them. How many more spiritual blessings are you going to get? None. You've already got them all. Listen, friends, there are people who spend their whole life working, hoping that God would bless them. They think, man, if I serve God, God's going to bless me. Let me tell you something. God's already blessed you. You've already got them all. He said He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. People walk around and they think they have to do something to earn the blessings of God. William Randolph Hearst was a 
collector of unique treasures from all around the world. He spent a fortune on his collection of unique items. And one day he was reading of some very valuable items that he wanted in his collection. And so he dispatched an agent. He said he wanted him to find these precious items and acquire them at any price because he wanted them in his collection. After months and months of searching, the agent returned to give his report to uh, Mr. Hurst that he had finally located the items. Mr. Hurst excitedly inquired of their whereabouts only to discover that all along they were stored safely in his own warehouse. He had purchased them years ago. He sent a frantic, costly search all over the world for treasures that he already owned. Let me tell you something, friends. Too many believers ask God day after day to bless them and to give them peace and to give them these spiritual blessings. And let me just tell you, you already have them. You need to quit asking for them and start applying them in your life because God's already given them to you. He says here very clearly, He has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It is yours because you are in Christ Jesus. The moment you put your faith in Him was the moment that you received every spiritual blessing. It's powerful. You need, to, you need to mull on that this week. You need to think about the fact that I have every spiritual blessing. It's mine because God doesn't see me anymore. When He looks at me, He looks at me in Christ and He's given everything that He can to His Son and because He's given it to the Son, He's given it to you because you are identified, you are in union with the Son. Now, Let's look at the first two blessings because we find those beginning in verse 4. Here's blessing number one, and that is the blessing chosen by God. Chosen by God. It says in verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Now, I want you to stop and just think about this blessing for just a moment. Do you realize that you were chosen by God. You were chosen by God. You were. Now, a lot of people take this verse and they try to build some doctrine around the fact that God chooses people for salvation and some people He chooses and other people He chooses to go to hell. That is not what this verse says. That is not what the Bible says. Let me just tell you. Let me, under, let me help you understand. The fact is, God does choose people for salvation. He chose everybody for salvation. When I read the Bible, I read John 3.16, and it says, For God so loved who? The world. And when you study that word in the original language, it's the word cosmos. And when you, and you, when you find out the meaning of that word in the original language, God so loved the cosmos, what you understand is it is every place, every inhabited place in the world. So here's what John 3.16 says. God so loved every place that there was people. He loved people. And he sent his only begotten son. That's what the Bible says. The Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you, how many people in the world are sinners? All of them. Every one of them. Amen. I am included. Every person in the world. Christ died for sinners is what the Bible says. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says Jesus became the satisfactory payment not just for our sins only as believers in Jesus Christ, but for the entire world. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Bible says God is not willing that 
any should perish, but that all should change their mind about who Jesus is and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let me just tell you, friends, God chose every person for salvation, not just a few, not just me and not just you. God chose every person for salvation. His plan is all-inclusive. Don't let anybody tell you that God chose a few people to be saved and a few people who were going to go to hell because that is not what the Scripture teaches. That is not what the Bible teaches. To understand this fact that you are chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless, you have to understand that there are always two sides to salvation. There are always two sides. You can look at salvation in two different ways. Now, we've kind of covered this before, and I'm going to cover it very quickly this morning because I want you to see it. You're not going to have time to write it down, so don't try. Just try and sit there and absorb it, all right? Because when we look at salvation, if this is salvation, I can look at it from this side, from God's side. I can look at salvation from God's side, and I can see salvation from God's side. But there is also man's side of salvation. And I can look at salvation from man's side, and it looks different than it does from God's side of salvation. But both are true. It's still salvation. Okay? So let me show you very quickly. Here's God's side of salvation. God's side of salvation says this, that God knew before He created the world that man would sin and need a Savior. That's what the Scripture says. God knew before He ever created the world, before He ever created Adam and Eve, that Adam was going to sin, he was going to eat fruit, and that would be credited to your account, it would be credited to my account. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. God knew that we were going to be sinners. He also knew that He would send Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. He knew that before the foundation of the world. He said salvation would be by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16 tells us it's not by works, it's not by what we do, it was by believing in Jesus Christ. He knew that every moment of every person's life, this is phenomenal, before God ever created the world, before He ever made one human being, God knew every moment of your life. That's what Psalm tells us in the 139th Psalm, that every moment of your life was recorded in God's book before you ever took your first breath. God knew every moment of your life. Now, this is God's side of salvation. This is where God sees it. And here's the last thing. God knew who would choose to believe and who would not. God knew that before He ever formed the world. He knew that there would be some people who would believe in Jesus Christ. And He knew there would be some people who would choose to reject Jesus Christ. This is God's side of salvation. He also knew... God predestined or predetermined a plan of salvation. Now, don't get hung up on predestined. We're going to talk about it in a minute. God made a plan, a way for us to be saved. God puts a longing in the heart of every person to know Him. I mean, why do you think there are so many religions in the world? Religion is man's attempt to reach God. There is a longing. I need to know God. I want to be with God. And so we develop a religion of a way that we think we need to get there. God put that longing in their heart. They've just messed up the way to get to Him. That's what religion is. God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for sin and become the substitute. We just talked about that. He became the propitiation, the satisfactory payment for every person in the world. God uses His Holy Spirit to bring conviction upon those who have not believed. In John chapter 16, the Bible says that He sent the Holy Spirit in the world to bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. At some point, you've got to have this overwhelming sense. You know what? I am a sinner. And do you know what brings that on? God brings it on through the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. God's side of salvation. God reveals Himself and He invites and and draws every person to Himself. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. God sets you up. He sets you up. 
And then finally, God gets the gospel message to those who will seek Him. And we saw that way back in Romans chapter 1, that everybody, nobody is without excuse because God has revealed Himself and those who would seek after Him, God will get the message to them and when they get the message, then they can believe. So here's God's side of salvation. Here's God's side of salvation. He knew we were going to need a Savior. He knew we were going to be sinners. He knew what plan He was going to take to redeem us, to reconcile us back to Himself. And so He sent, He said this plan to send His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be the satisfactory payment, to be the expiation and substitution for you and for me. And He, he, he set up the Holy Spirit to come down into the world after Jesus left and bring conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And somehow along the way, because He knew every step of your life, He encounters you with the message of salvation or with Himself through creation and through people and all of the things that He's given us and through His Word. And at some point, God will encounter you. He'll get the message of salvation to you. And that's God's side of salvation. You can't be saved without God's side of salvation. Now we've got to look at man's side of salvation. Man knows there is a God. We studied this in Romans chapter 1. He says, nobody's without excuse. God's revealed Himself and His power and His deity, and He's done it all through creation. I'm accountable now. There's no way I can say, well, I didn't know. God said, look at the stars, man. I've given you enough evidence that I'm here. I'm here. And then man feels and senses the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember, God what? He sent the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. At some point in my life, I get this encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I go, ooh, man, I have messed up. i got to find my way to God. And that's where religion comes in many times, is they think, i got to be good enough, or i got to earn my way to God, or I'm going to develop all these rituals in order to make God love me or be happy with me. Man, here's the gospel message. Jesus said, truly, truly, he who hears my word and believes... And him who sent me has eternal life. And then man chooses to believe in Jesus Christ. And, of course, we've got all kinds of verses that say that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. This is man's side. Guess what? You can't believe unless you hear the message. You can't hear the message unless God puts the message in front of you. And let me just tell you, God knew every day, every moment, every second of your life, and at some point along the way, God encounters you as a person, and you're going to be held accountable in that moment. Now, you either have to choose to believe or not. That's man's side of salvation. And we can look at it from this side, or we can look at it from that side, but let me just tell you something, friends. It's salvation any way you look at it, and both have to be true. Both have to be true. Paul looks at salvation in this letter from God's side. And when he says God chose you to be holy and blameless before Him, what he's saying is God chose you. He looked down through time and He saw that you were going to be a sinner and you were going to need a Savior. He developed a plan for you to be saved and He sent His Son to die on a cross. Jesus died on a cross and on the third day He defeated sin. He arose from the grave. He ascended back to heaven and somewhere along the way, through a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, the Bible... uh, Something, God encountered you and you came to a moment where you either had to believe in Him or not. And so around here on man's side, you either chose to believe and put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and you got eternal life and you got all these spiritual blessings or you rejected Him and you'll spend eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. That's God's side and man's side of salvation as quickly and simply as I can put it uh, in, in the time frame that we have this morning. And when Paul is talking about the fact that you are chosen in God, he's talking about God's side of salvation. 
And, and it, the Bible tells us over and over again that that has to be true. It tells us over and over again. In Romans, we saw in chapter 3 that nobody seeks after God. You can't come over on this side and say, you know what, I was looking for God, and I'm the one who found God. I'm the one who caused salvation. Now, let me tell you something. God put the longing in your heart to seek after Him. If you ever sought after God, you didn't do it on your own, your old person. You did it because God created that desire in you. It tells us in Luke, the Bible tells us that God seeks after you. In John 15, Jesus' word said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you would go bear fruit. Again, that's God's side of salvation. How does God do it? He's already done it. I want you to think about it. Before the foundation of the world, he made a decision to send Jesus Christ. God knows the path of your life. He encounters you with himself through creation, through a neighbor, through a family member, through a co-worker, through the Bible. He sets you up and he brings the gospel message to you and you hear it and God hopes and his passion and his desire is that you will believe in the message and put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 10 says, how can they hear? unless somebody tells them the message. How can they believe unless they hear? You see, there is God's side and man's side of salvation. And when Paul talks about the fact that God chose you, he's looking at salvation from God's side. But there's still a man's side. There's still a man's side. Don't get confused. The moment you believe, you become one of the chosen of God. Now, I want you to think about this. This is hard. But before you believed, you were chosen by God. After you believed... You became a part of the chosen. Can you understand it? Absolutely not. Neither can I. How does that work? I don't know. You can ask God when you get to heaven because the bottom line is our ways aren't His ways. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't fathom it in our minds. But I want you to notice what Paul says. He says you were chosen to be what? Holy and blameless. I just want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are holy and blameless? I mean, you're perfect. Never make a mistake because that's what holy and blameless means, that you never, ever think a bad thought, you never, ever do a bad deed, you never, ever say a bad word. You see, experientially, as we live in this life, we are a long ways from being holy and blameless. But the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? You become a new creation. There is something on the inside of you that will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will help you if you'll surrender control to Him to walk the spiritual life, to live the spiritual life. The Bible says that if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the desire of the flesh. And so there is a way to get better, to be better, but the bottom line is we're still sinners by nature and we're broke and God desires and He chose you. God chose you to be holy and blameless. So if God chose me to be holy and blameless and I'm living like a sinner, how does that happen? Let me tell you how it happens. Now follow me. Positionally, where are you? In Christ. When I look at that, what do I see? Holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. God chose you to be holy and blameless. He chose you positionally in Christ that you'd be holy and blameless. When God looks at you, He doesn't see sinner Rodney. God looks at me and He sees in Christ. And when He sees Christ, He sees holy and blameless. That's God's desire. You know what God's ultimate desire is? For your experience to match your position. 
He desires for you to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. He desires for you to walk like a child of God. He desires for you to be holy and blameless. We are to be holy as God is holy, is what Peter said. And so God's desire, do you know what? One of these days, your experience will match your position. Not in this life and not in this body, but when you die and this old physical body dies and you get your new glorified body, guess what? Holy and blameless, experientially. You know why? Because there won't be any more sin. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more evil. You're going to be free from, from this body of flesh and from this natural bent to sin, and you're going to be free to live without sin in your life. And so experientially, one of these days, just like God chose you, you will be holy and blameless. But right now, because you are in Christ, you are seen by God as holy and blameless people. And that ought to make you say, Praise God, because I'm worthless trash. But God sees me as holy and blameless. Let me tell you something, being chosen by God, whoo, it's a big one. Probably why Paul put it first. I'm chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. God's desire, God chose you. So instead of worrying about who gets chosen and who doesn't get chosen, remember that God chose everybody, He included everybody. And secondly, remember, instead of worrying about who God chose and who God didn't choose, just praise God that He chose you. That's what you need to do. You know, don't focus on the negative. We talked about that when we went through Romans. That's what we do. We look at that and say, oh, well, God chose some. Well, that means He didn't choose, any, he didn't choose others. Listen, don't worry about if God didn't choose somebody else. Worry about the fact that you need to be on your knees thanking God that He chose you. Because He did before the foundation of the world. So that's blessing number one. Pretty good, amen? Amen. Here's blessing number two. Blessing number two is this. Adopted as a son. Adopted as a son. Verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Now, here's another word that a lot of people get hung up on. I told you we were going to come back to it. It's that word predestined. Let me just tell you, predestined means one thing. It means to have a predetermined plan. A predetermined plan. Let me just tell you, I predestined that as soon as we get finished here, I'm going to have lunch. I got a plan. I predestined it. It's going to happen. Okay? God predestined. He had a plan before the foundation of the world. God had a... If we just want to read this verse in simple terms, here's what it says. God had a predetermined plan to adopt us as sons. In other words, God marked out a plan before the world began of how you and I would become a part of His family. And here's the plan. John 1, 12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become what? Children of God, even to those who believe on His name. Those who receive Jesus as the Messiah, those as the Savior, and do not reject Him, those who believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. Galatians 3.26 tells us, For you are all what? Sons of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. How do you become adopted? How do you get into God's big family? You believe in Jesus Christ. That's the way. God had this plan. He said, you know what? 
It's going to be by faith in Christ. And everybody who believes in them, I'm going to adopt them as sons. Now, you need to understand what this means. We've talked about it before, but I'm going to, I'm going to hit it again because sometimes it doesn't sink in the first time around. Maybe the second or the third. Amen? <laughs> when you were adopted, back in Jesus' day and Paul's day, when you had children, children had to reach the age of adulthood. Now, in the Jewish nation, they celebrated that. I mean, when you reach the age of adulthood, they throw a party. And I mean, it is a party. It goes on for days. And gifts like you can't believe you get the moment you become an adult, especially as a son in a Jewish family. And guess what happens at the moment that you become recognized, you're recognized as an adult? That's the moment that you become an heir to all the stuff the family has. It's the moment that you have all the rights and privileges for the very first time to use the family name. You see, until you reach adulthood in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish nation, you don't have the right to use the family name. You can't go out and take the signet ring and put a stamp on something and buy it. You can't, you don't have the right to become the heir until you reach that age. It's not so when you're adopted into the family. You see, when you're adopted into the family, you are adopted in an adult position, adult status. It doesn't matter what age you are. So it doesn't matter if you're six or eight or ten. When you are adopted into the family, you immediately have all the rights and privileges of using the family name. You have all of the access as an heir to everything that the family owns. You see the difference in being adopted and being a natural-born son? The difference is that you have all the rights and privileges. God didn't just save you. He brought you into the family, and He brought you in with full heir status the moment you put your faith in Christ. Now, I want you to notice in this verse a couple of things. We're going to move on quickly. It's through who? Jesus Christ. How do you get there? Through Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And then I want you to notice it's according to the kind intention of His will. Why did God do it? Because He chose to do it. Because it was His plan. That's exactly why. You need to understand that. God set out before the foundation of the world to give you these spiritual blessings to bring you into His family as an adopted son. What a blessing. What a blessing. So we've seen the first two blessings. I'm chosen by God. I'm adopted as a son. I'm brought into God's family. How powerful is that? Now, let me show you one more thing about these blessings, and that is this. The purpose of the blessings is to bring glory to God. You see, the reason that God chose before the foundation of the world to do all this stuff and to give all of this to you and make it available to you is because it brings glory to God, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Listen, folks, God doesn't bless you with spiritual blessings because you deserve it. God doesn't bless you with spiritual blessings because you've earned it. He blesses you because it is by His choice. It is by His undeserved favor. It is by His grace. That's why it says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. It says, you get all of these blessings so that God will be glorified because He has given you undeserved favor. That's what it says. 
God has blessed you with all you have in Christ because it brings glory to His name. You can't say, look what I've earned, look what I deserve, look what I've achieved. All you can do is say, praise God, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. All you can say is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing, even though I didn't deserve it especially because I didn't deserve it. That's what he's saying. God blesses us and all these blessings that we're going to see, and he does it so that he gets the glory. So one point of application that we need to see as we walk away from today, and that is just simply this. I should praise God that he chose me and adopted me as his child. I should praise God because he chose me and because he adopted me as his child. Child, as you consider the blessings being chosen by God and adopted into His family, as you consider all the wisdom and the insight and the preparation that God made to save you and to redeem you and to reconcile you to Himself, your response should be overwhelming praise for God. I have a little confession that I want to encourage and challenge us to memorize over and say every day over these weeks when we study these blessings. Okay? And it's pretty simple. I want you to say it with me. It's written on the back of your notes. I want you to say this with me. I am blessed by the Father through the Son for His glory. Say it with me again. I am blessed by the Father through the Son and for His glory. Now, I want you to just think about that this week. I want you to say it every morning when you get up. I want you to think to yourself. I want you to say, you know what? I am blessed by the Father through the Son and for His glory. And then I want you to live every day like it. Live like you are blessed by the Father through the Son and live for His glory. That's the challenge. All God has done, He's done for us because He chose to do it and He chose to do it so that He would get the credit. All right, let's pray.